0: Today's Tribcast is presented by the Texas Farm Bureau. Our food, it's grown by farmers and eaten by everyone. When it comes to the food we eat, we're all in this together. Learn more at texasfarmbureau.org. And Texas State Technical College. TSTC offers money-back guarantees to students who earn degrees in high-paying technologies but don't find jobs within six months of graduation.
1: Texas talking. That, that you who can you trust when Texas Texas
2: Hi,
3: I'm Justin Nelson, the Democratic candidate for Texas Attorney General against Ken Paxton. And despite what Evan Smith might say, "I can win this race. Evan also picked the University of Virginia to play Michigan State for the NCAA Basketball Championship. Maybe next year, Evan. But this race is more than a game. I'm running for Texas Attorney General to fight corruption and fraud, and to make Texas a better place for us all. In other words, what you read about in the Texas Tribune every day. Enjoy this week's Tribcast. And now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw.
0: Thank you, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, March 21st with your Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly podcast on the biggest stories in Texas politics. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith.
3: I'm I'm, I'm in a little bit of a grumpy mood. I'm just letting
0: you know. Oh, terrific. I'm glad we're off to a great start already. Political reporter Patrick Svitek.
3: Good afternoon. When I bark at Svitek, you'll know that's what it's about. (laughs) Uh,
0: And we'll say hello in a moment to our community reporter, Alex Samuels. Uh, We're also joined for this first segment by Democratic congressional candidate MJ Hager. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Everyone, just a reminder, we're taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so please send them our way. Um, MJ, we're going to start with you for this first segment. The morning after the primary, the Tribune had a story about this wave of Texas women candidates uh, who won or made it to runoffs in more than 50 primary races statewide. Uh, Obviously, you were one of those candidates who made it to a runoff. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think fueled this surge in women, and do you think they're going to end up going all the way?
4: Yeah, I think that um, people are starting to realize that we need to have a government that's more reflective of the electorate, that it's not enough to have people that promise to go and fight for your values. Um, And I think that you're starting to to see that not only in the the candidates and the quality of candidates and the people who, you know, um, have always maybe wanted to stand up but had certain barriers or made excuses or said it's not the right time and have had the, you know, kind of finally had enough and Mm -hmm. said, we're going to run.
0: And you are running for the Democratic nomination for Congressional District 31 um, against another woman, Christine Edie Mann. You both bested uh, men in this contest in this month's primary. Um, you, in particular, were the top vote getter. Do you think that'll hold for the May runoff, and why are you...
3: Are you going to predict your own <laughs> defeat here and, on, and <laughs> on our podcast? And why are you
0: the better candidate?
4: So I think we're very confident going into the runoff, but we're not overconfident. We don't take anything for granted. Um, uh, that's actually um, you know, a pretty common characteristic of Congressman Carter that's in our district that he's overconfident and takes things for granted and doesn't feel like he has to to earn the the vote so we'll never be like that even after we win in November um so we definitely are confident because we had a double digit lead we got more votes than the second and third place combined um and we had such an enormous turnout we had triple the turnout of the last midterm election or midterm primary um and so that's going to translate for the general so basically we're just going to work really hard to earn the nomination um and get out the vote and um you know, we're, we're predicting success, but we're definitely going to have some, some hard work. The, the
3: nature of a race like this, uh, MJ, is that you have to make the case for why the incumbent should be fired or not rehired, right? right. The assumption is always that when somebody has served... They have an advantage going in as an incumbent, and and the challenger has to make the case for why they should not be returned. It's not enough simply to make a positive case for yourself. What has John Carter done wrong, or what hasn't he done right?
4: So he, like I mentioned, um, alluded to that that he feels safe. He doesn't feel like he doesn't act like he's answerable to his constituents. For example, when I was in D.C. in 2013, I was actually trying to um, open jobs for women in the military. I, I worked with the ACLU and opened hundreds of thousands of jobs for women. And I was meeting with congressmen and senators from both sides of the aisle, and he wouldn't meet with me. And he was my congressman.
3: You're a constituent. Yes. Right.
4: As one of his constituents, he wouldn't meet with me. And I thought at the time it was because he didn't agree with me, but I think it turns out he doesn't really meet with anyone. He hasn't had a town hall since 2013, and he's pretty open about that. Um, you know, we went on the record uh, recently saying it's because he doesn't like to be yelled at. Well, you know, we have to be answerable to the electorate and to our constituents and available and accessible And, um, you know, that's uh, part of why I'm running. And you commit to
3: having, if you're elected, you commit to having town halls and getting yelled at even if that's what happens.
4: Absolutely, you know, I think that healthy discourse is important, we'll probably have some ground rules that, you know, try to make it um, uh, constructive, but I'm definitely not averse to being yelled at. I was in the military for 12 years and uh, taking on opening jobs for women, I certainly got yelled at and death threats and angry people. Um, It's important to recognize the motivation for that and understand that they're passionate and trying to fight for their families and, you know, we have to come together and stop um, arguing and, and getting so angry at each other and, and we have to take criticism and we have to be open to our constituents.
0: Most folks don't consider this to be a swing district, they consider this to be a pretty staunchly conservative district. Do you have any indication that you'd get support, financial support from the DCCC or from, you know from? Washington, or the party nationally? We've gotten lots of support. Most of our support does
4: come from inside Texas and from inside the district, but we do have um, quite a quite a bit of national attention on the race, which is great. I think it's time that we get some national attention on my district. I've lived in my district my, almost my whole
0: life, except national when I was financial attention or just national attention, as in like media attention.
4: Well, ninety almost ninety percent of our donations come from inside Texas, mm-hmm. um, but we do get national um, media attention and fundraising. Um, I think that you know John Carter gets almost half of his money from outside of Texas, um, and so. So, you know, I think that we, um, the data actually is on our side. The PPP did a poll in November, and I think the numbers are probably even better now, um, that showed that only a third of our district self-identifies as Republican, a third is Democratic, and a full third is independent. It's not as heavily read as people think. And I think one of those reasons is because we have more veterans in this district than in 97% of the rest of the country. And veterans represent an aspect of what used to be considered a reliable Republican vote that are now a little fed up and and wanting to vote for the right candidate and not wanting to vote for a party. Mm -hmm.
1: Just to take Emily's question, original question, just a step further, I think this is the fifth and most recent district in Texas that DCCC has put on their their target list. Um, On the question of national, influence or involvement um, are you concerned about there being too much of that or at least the perception of too much of that we saw in the in the seventh district obviously how that um, you know drama. yeah kicked you know, up a lot of a lot of dust early yeah.
4: on um, Senator Wendy Davis uh, came on board not only as uh, endorsing us but really as mentoring me she's an amazing human being uh, really cares about uh, the issues that we're fighting for and one of the first pieces of advice she gave me was you're she was like this race is gonna blow up and you have to protect your values and your integrity from outside in influence, and we have operated that way. Now, that doesn't mean we don't partner with people who have resources and are effective at helping people, and I do think we need to lock arms with people who share our values so that we can win these important races. Um, but my my district is pretty unique, and I'm a unique candidate, and we are going to run our race, um, and we're very excited to have people who share our values jump on board and help.
3: So, so you're not worried about getting tied to the national democratic leadership as some candidates have, particularly, and let me ask the question straight away, mm-hmm. you, you will be tied to Nancy Pelosi, whether you like it or not, and whether you support Nancy Pelosi or not, because that's what Republican candidates do in general elections. They tie Democrats to the national leadership. What do yeah. you think about Leader Pelosi, and if Leader Pelosi ends up in a position to be Speaker again, if Democrats take back the House, will you or won't you support her for Speaker?
4: So I really honestly have been asked that question a lot, and I think it's an incredibly unfair question without knowing who she's going up against. I can tell you I think she's done some good things for the party. I think she's made some mistakes, just like almost every human being that I know. Um, I would not be adverse to supporting her, but if they put somebody up against her that I think would be better for the party, I would, I would support them. I can't say which way I would vote without knowing who's up against her. I do think that there is something to be said for new leadership and new blood, and that's part of why I think an eight-term incumbent Republican like The one I'm going up against an eight term incumbent period who has done nothing for our district needs to be replaced. So
3: have you uh, committed, as as other members have occasionally, Beto O'Rourke, who is running for the U.S. Senate as a Democrat against Ted Cruz, is in part running because he had self term limited when he first got into Congress. He committed to only serving for four terms. If you think that one of the problems with John Carter is he served too long, Will you commit to serving a a finite number of terms?
4: Yeah, I actually started down that road and my supporters kind of pulled me back from it saying that if you get to a place where you can actually be influential and you're, you know, uh, chairing a committee or something like that, then you don't want to have limited yourself. I am for the idea of term limits. I'm open to limiting
0: myself. I just haven't made a decision on that yet. Mm We have a question coming in on social media. Um, your opponent in the runoff has improving care for all Americans as a key point of her campaign. Mm-hmm. Would you support a single-payer health system in the United States, yes or no? This is from someone named Joseph.
4: Okay, the answer is yes. I think that single payer is the future um, of our, uh, our healthcare system like it is in most industrialized countries. However, I think we need to focus on the right single payer model. I myself have been the recipient of two single payer models, one that worked really well and one that did not work. So I am committed to, I think we need to hold our candidates to a higher standard than the just asking yes work, or no. one that does me is the VA. Yes, the VA was uh, active-duty military is really the one that I'm thinking of, but the VA is another example of a system that I think could, could use some improvement. Yeah. Um, I am dedicated. The, the one that did work was called TRICARE, and a lot of military veterans understand what that system is, and it it is a system where you can select your own providers and you have a lot more freedom as a, as a patient. Um, what I'm committed to, what I will commit to, is supporting a sing- single-payer model that incentivizes innovation and quality and that we make sure that we maintain our position as you know, um, one of the leading quality providers in the world, but we also have to. You know, I worked in healthcare for five years too, right. and I know that the cost of healthcare is unsustainable. The growth of cost of healthcare is is exponentially higher than our growth in GDP. I also, as a mom, you know, I recently had my son in a uh, my one year old in the emergency room at Dell Children's Medical Center, and heard another patient next to me talking about whether they could afford to be there with their four-month-old that was coughing in a way that would make you nervous if it was your child, and that broke my heart, you know? And it, it breaks most people's hearts, I think, thinking of people having to choose between putting food on the table or getting medical care for their children. That's not the America that we're proud of and that we grew up in, and I'm gonna fight so to So you sure. would have
3: been for Medicaid expansion under those circumstances?
4: Uh, Yes, unless there was a better thing put forward, I would be for that.
3: Are there any issues you say that the district is is a third independent? Those independents are going to be looking to you to explain yourself on specific issues. Are there issues on which you and the Democratic Party diverge?
0: Gun rights, for example. You know, I
4: have a change management background, and I think that um, a lot of the Democratic Party, we need to work on how we message things, and instead of, you know, I disagree with that, I disagree with this as candidates even, we need to be talking about representing not one party's values, but representing the district's values. Um, Do some of the district's values that I'm a product of and that I represent, are they in, do they fly in the face of the actual platform of the party? I would say not many, um, but we definitely, when we talk about increasing the minimum wage, I'm for that, but we have to do it in in a way that doesn't put small businesses out of business, we need to do things thoughtfully and intentionally, and not try to grab headlines. Um, you know, there's there's. When I talk about climate change to my, my district, we talk about how it impacts business and, and benefits um, people who are trying to run businesses. We also talk about the national security implications of not having a dependence on foreign oil. And I think we need to be talking about things in those terms, on the things that we agree with, to be solution-oriented and pragmatic and in trying to solve problems instead of point out where we disagree.
0: Where have you felt fallen on the questions around uh, different you know um, gun control measures in light of the most recent school shootings? Yeah, that's
4: difficult um, because... You know, our district and the, where I grew up, and this is who I am as well, um, is very heavily uh, veteran and hunter, and you know, we're pro Second Amendment district, and I'm a pro Second Amendment candidate. Does that mean that we don't um, have restrictions that are required to protect our Second Amendment rights? No. Um, I believe that the gun violence epidemic, uh, uh, above and beyond being the greatest threat to our children right now, um, is the greatest threat to our Second Amendment rights, and if we don't do something about that, then we will lose our Second Amendment rights, and rightfully we should as a country if we don't do something about that. So how this. far
3: would you go? Specifically, what would you support in the way of restrictions?
4: Um, for I'm supporting a lot of the things that the majority of the country supports, honestly, that for some reason Congress can't seem to pass. Um, the two biggest things we need to do, I mean, I, I support the the onesie-twosie legislation that we're talking about, things like increasing the age, increasing background checks and things like that, fixing uh, you know the systems that are supposed to monitor these things. But I personally don't think we're gonna see any serious impact on the gun violence epidemic until we do two things. We have to repeal the Dickey Amendment and allow the CDC to uh, research gun violence and solutions to gun violence out of the box thinking things like, you know, they study traffic accidents and we have things like airbags and seatbelts and we have an acceptance, a cultural acceptance of those restrictions and laws because we know that it saves lives. So we have to have that. Secondly, we have to walk back the Citizens United decision and get the dark money, super, you know, super investors, uh, not investors, that's basically how they see it, but the the donors that are are pouring money into Congress, there's a reason 90%
0: of the country wants expanded background checks and Congress can't seem to pass it. MJ, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We will see you out on the campaign trail. And now we're going to bring in uh, Alex Samuels, our reporter who has been covering uh, all the issues around the Austin bombings in the last several weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for joining you. Us. Uh, while we're waiting for Alex to join us, I just uh, want to thank another TribCast sponsor, Waters, Kraus & Paul. Waters, Kraus & Paul represents those blowing the whistle on Employers and False Claims Act cases like the example of government contractor fraud at waterskraus.com. Alex, have you slept at all?
2: Uh, you know, it's it's been a long week, and it's only Wednesday, so we're still going through.
0: Brody
3: Lane is lovely at all times of the day and night. <laughs> is that so? Yeah.
2: Uh, Alex, all right, so get
0: us up to speed. Obviously, you know, when we were thinking about what this trip gas conversation was going to be like, we didn't know we were going to wake up this morning and have a uh, an Austin bombing suspect who is now deceased. So what happened in the overnight?
2: Um, so overnight, um, police said they were able to catch up with the uh, suspected bomber. Um, they said they captured video footage of him uh, wearing what they think is a disguise at the FedEx facility. Yeah, boy, that
0: blonde wig was (laughs) not a a great one.
2: Yeah, um, so they said they were able to use that to eventually track him down and uh, find his place of residence. So when police tried to corner him um, in his vehicle, he eventually drove away, which led to a chase, and then the bomber um, actually detonated one of his own devices, which killed him and then injured another officer nearby.
0: And what do we know about him as a person? What do we know about his potential motivations for this these crimes?
2: I think right now um, officers are still looking into a potential motivation. Um, before they were you know, kind of begging the bomber to come forward, asking for an open dialogue so they can get to know um, what he was thinking and what was going on between that. but. Um, I think they're still looking into motivation behind that. Um, as far as background on the um, alleged suspect, we do know that he's a 23-year-old um, up in Um He did attend ACC for a bit uh, for two years between 2010 and 2012, but he did not finish school there. Um, so we're just still piecing together background information on him. And, and
3: there is a, there's a, a, a number of media organizations now have published um, a, blogs that, a blog post that he wrote.
0: May have written. It's not verified that it is indeed him. Well, but it's not... It looks not, pretty likely. It,
3: it looks to be likely. It's his name. It, it sort of aligns with the time period, right. but it's been associated, let's just say, on an assumed basis with this uh, individual who writes about... Um, Different social issues. Says, you know, I'm I'm not super political, but I do tend to be more conservative. It's uh, it was part of a government class project that I guess students were obligated to produce. And I don't this believe right, in rights, rights
0: for special rights for homosexuals. Yeah, That's and one then of and a, and a
3: cou- couple other but things, right? Stuff yeah. All that. was from
0: 2012. I'm, again. I, I think right. calling, you know. Um, Saying that that could potentially be a motive. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah, think,
3: I think it's that, I don't think it's a motive, but I do think that you know what will happen, of course, is that we're gonna we're gonna see different pieces of the puzzle come political come out, and political
0: people will nail it. Right. Patrick, what you were just listening to uh, Governor Abbott press conference or presser? What did he reveal? What you know? Any other details?
1: Sure. So he uh, reiterated some of the details we already know about how they uh, the authorities tracked down this suspect. Uh, one thing that stood out to me was he said that it, it was his understanding that in basically about 24 hours leading up to the suspect's death early this morning, uh, police and other authorities were able to closely track and monitor him. So it sounds like he was pretty firmly on their radar screen, um, if you date that back all the way to yesterday morning, uh, in some ways. And so it seems like they were very clearly honing in on him over the past 20, at least the 24 hours leading up to his death. Uh, One, at least new new to me, and I know there's a lot of reporting going on at this point, so I may have missed it, but Abbott said that it was also his understanding that the bomber was able to uh, purchase um, the materials used in these incidents at Home Depot, and not only was he able to use the, uh, purchase those materials at Home Depot, but he also bought a number of signs that said something to the effect of caution children at play. And he may have used one of those in that tripwire incident that, we, we, that happened, I believe, two or three nights ago. And so that, that just another uh, kind of somewhat small detail on, on how this all was concocted, at least some of the bombers end.
0: What's been the national conversation? I mean, obviously we're hearing a lot about whether, you know, Trump did or didn't weigh in and didn't and did or didn't weigh in soon enough. And then the sort of national debate around when somebody's labeled a terrorist versus when they aren't labeled. Well, the White House Press
3: Secretary yesterday came out and said, we don't believe that this is terrorism, right, at least based on what we know. You know I wonder what the definition of terrorism is these days
2: yeah so um, NPR did a really great explainer on this but basically to classify this as either a hate crime or domestic terrorism you have to know the motive and right now we don't have that so it's hard to classify as either
0: Right. I mean, I think a lot of people are like, you know, either going after law enforcement or going after the media saying like, just call this what it is, terrorism. Well,
3: somebody blowing people up for shits and giggles feels like terrorism to me as a citizen. I'm sorry.
0: Look up the definition of terrorism. I mean, I think the actual definition of terrorism is, you know, like politically motivated or some kind of, you know. So what
3: do you call somebody who blows people up for not political reasons? Sick a bomber.
0: <laughs> I think that's the clinical term. You are a
3: delight on this podcast.
0: Oh, I'm just saying, you know, I think that, again, I think Alex is right. I think the, the answer is you need to know a motive before you can determine yeah. what somebody was up to. But, I mean, what is the sentiment around how early or late Trump, you know, came to the table in any of this?
2: There was definitely um, some backlash I saw on social media in the beginning stages when he was not commenting. Um, I think he did initially tweet about this. Last, yesterday and he just said well, that he, he the, sent
3: an all capital letters yeah. tweet today saying that the bomber yeah, was least, dead yeah, so. yeah
2: right. right when that happened and he was right. uh, praising law enforcement and everything like that but it took him uh, a few incidents in to actually say something about did, the the,
3: Alex that. did the police chief of Austin get uh, uh high marks low marks or what yeah, through I was all this ask
0: that. what you think about Manley's performance here
2: I think Art Acevedo who's the former Austin police chief he had said that this is the time to uh take into interim chief uh Brian off May- of his name yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually uh make him the formal awesome I, I
3: confess that i thought maybe he already was the permanent
2: you know
0: I, I think it's really hard to judge these kinds of things i think there was a push people wanted more information the public wanted more information than was available at the same time you knew why the police were being cagey about it like they had to be really careful with they wanted the to get the deal. guy they wanted to get the guy and they did right, get yeah. the guy in, you know, right relatively short order after he showed up at the FedEx. But if there'd been a couple more of these, you know, I don't know.
3: Can we talk about the Ken Paxton facepalm last Mm -hmm. night on Fox?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Before we get to that, I was going to say, I I obviously don't cover the Austin Police Department full time, but I thought they did a good job of communicating with the media and the public about what was Mm -hmm. going on. I mean, after pretty much every one of these incidents, they had a media availability within – one or two hours after the, the you know, call came in or something like that. I know they didn't always answer everyone's questions to their satisfaction, but it, it struck me as a pretty um, smooth operation in terms of at least being available to the media as soon as they could, you know, possibly be at least from All where right. I'm sitting. And so. before
0: we talk about Ken Paxton, <laughs> I want to talk about the definition of terrorism, which I now have on uh, my Slack feed here. Terrorism is the use of intentionally indiscriminate violence as a means to create terror or fear to achieve a financial, political, religious, or ideological aim. So if you don't know the financial, political, religious, or ideological aim, it's hard to call it terrorism. Mm-hmm. There. End. Now I'm, let's I'm, talk about Ken Paxson. I'm, I'm <laughs>
3: dissatisfied.
0: <laughs> I mean, what else is new? Well, but, like, what
3: what doesn't fall in those buckets that could have been his motivation?
0: Uh, Mental illness?
3: So a crazy person doing uh, random bombings, we just call a bomber and not a terrorist.
0: All right, let's talk about Ken Paxton. (laughs) Agree to disagree. (laughs) Uh, So Ken Paxton goes on Fox News in the middle of last night's random Goodwill. Somebody put some strange device in their Goodwill box, cleaned out their grandfather's closet or something. (laughs) (laughs) Walk me through what Ken Paxton did. Patrick?
1: You want me to take this one? Okay.
0: (laughs) You can be the Ken Paxton whisperer. Sure. So
1: um, the Austin Police Department, uh, in the wake of this incident, had tweeted out that it was not related um, to the previous bombings that have put the city on edge. And it was certainly a very fluid situation. I don't know if, if Ken Paxton had uh, talked to Austin police before going on Fox News, but it looked he, like he, he had a And he was in Washington, by the way, right? Yeah, because he, he was I meeting at the White House. Um, so it looked like he had previously been scheduled in that day to go on Fox News at that time. And in the middle of, um, you know, the kind of immediate aftermath of this incident at the Goodwill store, which the Austin police, and I think other authorities at the time, so was not connected to other bombings. Ken Paxton was on Vox News and was asked about it and said, no, I'm talking to uh, people on the ground there. Uh, he said, some of my law enforcement sources, um, and they tell me that this is indeed the same uh, bomb bomber and that it is uh, connected to those other bombings. Um, he later, a few minutes later, several minutes after getting off Fox News, he started calling into a few local TV shows and s- kind of setting the record straight or trying to clear the air on it and saying that he was getting conflicting information. And I think on one show, he may have completely walked it back and said, no, I, I now know that it's not all connected. Yeah. Right. This and so, may have been
0: an incident of him being pre-scheduled. You know, All sure. of us have probably been on TV for one thing and then yeah, suddenly but why, they switch but gears why, and ask you something But, but else. why
3: come out and say it if you're not there and if you don't? No.
0: Yeah, right. Not a good move. But at least he did come out and say, you know what, I was wrong about this. And,
3: and quickly, to
1: his credit.
0: Right. Yeah. And, the,
1: yeah. and then there was a media availability later in the night where, or shortly after that, I think, where they the police, uh, there was an assistant police chief, I think, who reiterated that it was not connected. He was asked about what the attorney general said and said he, he couldn't comment on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Evan, in your history in Austin, have you ever experienced anything like this? I mean, I just like personally. I mean, well, speaking so I've, of terror, I've here, I felt quite terrorized. I've lived here
3: 27 years, or going on 27 years. You know, the, the the no. I mean, I don't. I can't think of another incident that gripped the city the same way that it did in terms of just fear of walking in the wrong direction or touching the wrong thing. And, you know, our office mate, colleague of sorts, Pamela Koloff of ProPublica uh, uh, tweeted yesterday uh, uh, about the fear in her small children. She has kids who are school age and how she had to have a difficult conversation with her daughter, Lucy, about, you know, why is this person doing this? And, you know, what are the dangers just to being out among people and, and living in the world, and it really is, it was very unsettling for the last couple of days. At the same time, the randomness of the whole thing, I mean, whether we have a motivation or not, there was really not any way to, to game this out. You just had to live your life. But no, I mean, this was definitely a, an unusual moment in all the years that I've, I've been here, and let's just hope that it's over. There's some discussion of, of whether the bomber, the alleged bomber, uh, left other bombs unexploded
2: or is there any indication? I mean, we, we, I, yeah. we, we don't
3: yet know whether this is truly over is the point, yeah, right?
2: Um, the Austin police chief had said this morning that they didn't know the bomber's whereabouts for the past 24 hours, so they're still advising Austin residents to remain vigilant and to still, still um, report anything that's quote-unquote suspicious that they see.
0: And do we still largely believe that he acted alone? I saw some reports that maybe, you know, there were other people that he lived with. or
2: mm-hmm. I saw an interview on Fox this morning with Greg Abbott, and he said that they weren't ruling anything out. Um, I know that the alleged bomber did have two roommates, but they weren't believed to be suspects at the time. All right, thank you, Alex.
0: All right, we've got several minutes left here. Um, Patrick, I want to move to you and talk about the uh, now notorious data firm Cambridge Analytica, which has been all over the news this week, um, booted from Facebook, accused among other salacious misdeeds of improperly harvesting information from the profiles of 50 million uh, Facebook users in its bid to get Trump elected, but Trump wasn't the company's only client. He had a client here, they had a client here in Texas, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So before this firm worked for the Trump campaign in the 2016 general election, uh, it was a uh, pretty well-known uh, vendor or at least by the end of the primary is a pretty well-known vendor to Ted Cruz's presidential campaign and uh, over the course of the 2016 presidential primary and I guess in the months afterward Cruz's campaign had disclosed to the FEC that it had paid this firm somewhere around 5.8 million dollars uh, which is pretty significant yep, not uh, it was uh, also a you know it was also a firm that factored pretty prominently into a lot of stories about the the Cruz campaign's kind of vaunted data operation now you know there's there are conflicting accounts of how long and, and, you know, in what capacity exactly this firm was uh, utilized by the Cruz campaign and how effective it was. And just like there are disputes about that regarding its role in the, in the Trump campaign. But the bottom line is that it was paid millions of dollars by the Cruz campaign. Uh, it was, you know, touted in, in public at the time as, as kind of this uh, cutting edge technology to help identify voters and turn them out. And so it, it had a pretty prominent role in Cruz's campaign in, in that regard. Texas Democrats are
3: saying that the media is not sufficiently hanging this like a weight or a millstone around
1: the neck of Ted
3: Cruz. What do you think about that?
1: <laughs> I think that it's being covered pretty, uh, pretty thoroughly. Um, you know, obviously, its most high profile client was the person who is now the president. So that's going to be uh, the <laughs> where a lion's share of the media is going to go. Um, but I think that people are continuing to look into its ties to Cruz's campaign This going to follow Cruz around. I think it could. You see that his Democratic opponent, Beto O'Rourke, Congressman from El Paso, is, is making a little bit of hay out of it. I don't know how much he's I mean, going to elevate yeah. it as an issue. He happens
0: to have an election coming up, so it will probably be a bigger sure. issue. Sure. Maybe yeah. a bigger issue, obviously. By the know, I think
1: it's it's kind of a complicated issue. I mean, I can you know sitting here today, you know, I was thinking about how, how I was going to sum up what exactly they were accused of doing. It's right. kind of a complex issue to even boil down into uh, a few sentences. Um, but it is no doubt something that was a pr- again a prominent part of Cruz's campaign in 2020. 2016. Well, the the is, any, mining, is anyone going to vote on that basis? Right. I mean,
0: there's the data mining or the data theft, but then there are the questions around these, like, really seedy revelations around Cambridge Analytica, you know, um, evidence, I guess, in in other races or potentially that they were caught on, like, hidden camera, basically, you know, saying that they wouldn't go so, go, be, they wouldn't be above, like, hiring, you know, prostitutes or stuff like that to try to, like, lure candidates in. I mean, we don't have any evidence that happened in any domestic.
1: Boring old dirty tricks. I, yeah. Domestic I, I don't see a statewide election turning on uh, a past vendor to someone's campaign, even if it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, as significant of a vendor as this one. But it's it's certainly, you know, an issue that Cruz has to answer for and his his campaign has, has sought to answer a little bit for it. They put out a statement um, on Monday, I believe, basically saying this firm assured us that everything that they were they would do, uh, would be above the board and would be legal in accordance with all relevant rules and regulations, and then that was laid out in, in contractual language that they had at the time. Uh, but the bottom line is that this is not leaving headlines anytime soon. Um, and again, while it's being most closely associated with the Trump campaign, I think that's still going to have some spillover effect on on Cruz and, and him and him going forward. I mean, they're going to be could be congressional hearings. Um, I think that you know not and there's already legislative scrutiny on yeah. it overseas, um, in the UK. So, it's not going away anytime soon, and it'll be interesting to see if if this, throughout this process, whether uh, there's any new information dug up on its exact role within the the cruise campaign.
0: And what does this mean for, there's one more Texan mixed up in all this, and that's Brad Parscale, the Trump's sort of, you know, web guru turned campaign chief. I mean, what role did he have in sort of securing or working with Cambridge Analytica, and, you know, could this jeopardize him at all in his current role?
1: Yeah, so I understand that there's there's some you know dispute, and I think it was in a statement that the Trump campaign operation put out after all this news over the weekend about how how what to what extent Cambridge Analytica was actually involved in the Trump campaign's data operation. Obviously, it would be no surprise that they'd be putting some distance between them at this mm-hmm. at this juncture, and so I think that that remains to be seen. I don't know how much um, you know it, it certainly you know casts a dark cloud over the data operations of both campaigns, regardless of what the real story is on how involved this firm was or not.
3: Parscale was already being scrutinized by investigators as part of the overall investigation.
1: I mean, so it's not as if he was
3: not being looked at now all of a sudden sudden because of this. He's he's more or less in a hot seat. But of course, he's been named the campaign chairman for the 2020 reelect and barring some revelations beyond what we see right now. Presumably, that doesn't get off, off track or right, get derailed. Yeah. Right.
1: The one link here that we haven't mentioned, that this data oh, yeah. firm is closely associated and by some reports, at least in part owned by the Mercer family, which is um, uh, Robert Mercer is this uh, New York h- hedge fund uh, billionaire who was a huge Major. Ted Cruz supporter, went on to become right. a huge Donald Trump supporter, I believe. He and, his, uh, he and his daughter, Rebecca, the whole family yeah. had given something like $11 million to a pro-Ted Cruz super PAC. And uh, there's been some reporting, not by us, but by other people, uh, that, you know, basically that these campaigns retained this firm because it had such a strong tie to these, their wealthy patrons, basically. And so that's why they kept them, you know, it was an effort to keep them, keep them satisfied.
0: Tangled web. All right. Well, that's all the time we have this week. If you like listening to the Tribcast, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to the Texas Farm Bureau, Texas State Technical College, and Waters, Krauss, and Paul, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Evan, Patrick, Alex, MJ, and our producers, Justin and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening
3: you are a delight <laughs> on this podcast yeah.